You're listening to Emmanuel Christian Center's podcast. Join us as we jump into our series, Keeping It 100, Ancient Wisdom from 1 Corinthians. Whether it be polarization, division, arrogance, sexuality, personal freedoms, or the truth of eternity, the Apostle Paul didn't shy away from difficult topics. Join us as we keep it real and learn how to live authentically in the modern world with age-old problems. If you had the answers to these questions, how different would your world be? We're excited to see what God is going to do in your story. Get ready. God is on the move. We've been in this series called Keeping It 100, and uh, we've been looking at the book or the letter called 1 Corinthians, Paul writing to the church, a town called Corinth, and each week we're kind of covering different chapters. First, uh, uh, first part of the series, we did chapters 1 through 4, then last week we did chapters 5 through 7. We're also gathering together with groups going through our, our participant guide and just discussing that. So I love hearing the reports of people that are gathering at homes and coffee shops and all kinds of things, and you're gathering together, and you're going through that. Thanks for doing it. If you've yet to jump in, you can dive in now, and if you've yet to see or hear any of the previous messages, please jump online. Hear them. It's really important to catch up to even today for you to understand what we're going to be talking about. Today, we're going to be moving in, and the title of my message is this, Growing Up without blowing up. Growing up without blowing up. Turn to the person next to you and say, don't blow up. Grow up. <laughs> Chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians, starting with verse 1. Now, regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols, yes, we know that we all have knowledge about this issue, but while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. But the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. Now, what we have here is there is a practical problem going on within the church. And that is people aren't getting along based on their previous life before they became Christians. Because they came from all walks of life, different cultural values, different family values, and people had a, a, a sense of right versus wrong based on the way they, they saw the world. But now they're called to be a part of one church. They met in houses, and they were gathered all over Corinth, and as believers would come together, they would actually look at each other uh, through a lens of their past. And it was creating a problem. There was a challenge there. You know, it's much like here at Emmanuel, we talk all the time about our church being called to be a house of prayer for all nations, talking about Jesus quoting from Isaiah in the temple, Mark chapter 11, when he was basically saying that the physical temple was to be a place where people from all over the world would come to worship one Savior, Jesus. And they came with their own backgrounds and their own storylines, their own philosophies of life. And so Paul is addressing this because this is exactly what's happening. The church has all kinds of backgrounds there. their religious backgrounds of what's right versus wrong. And the particular fight or argument that they're dealing with here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is regarding food. Now, food has been a, a part of conflict since the very beginning. The very first sin was over food. 
Food has been a part of, there's been food wars, wars over famine and seasons of timing, getting uh, your hands on food and whoever controls salt or minerals that were involved in packing meats and those kind of things. Food was, was re really the source of commerce uh, back in those days. And so it was a big deal. And in particular, it was a big deal even throughout all of Genesis as there were rules for what you can eat and couldn't eat what type of meat you could eat, and what, it, what the boundaries of that were. And so in the New Testament church now, Jesus has died, he's resurrected, now the church is left behind. And it's not just Jews that are becoming Christians, but it's non-Jews as well. And they all viewed food through a different lens. In fact, if you do a little bit deeper study and you're going to the book of Acts, you'll see there's a point in the story of the church and the council in Jerusalem where they had to decide what is right and wrong. You know, because as the gospel spread, it had a different ramification everywhere they went. And they came up with just three basics that they were to handle and, and, and to follow as a pattern. So Paul is addressing a particular argument about food. Now, today we have arguments about food, organic versus processed, GMOs and vegetarians versus meat eating people. There are ancient arguments, but if you add in other things that are similar to that regarding vaccines, vaccine information and political information or economic information, you can see how the fights still happen here because it's about information. People think they know better than someone else. Paul gives a very important insight here about the knowledge of what knowledge will do to you. He says in verse one, but while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. Another version says it this way. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So knowledge can inflate your ego. I know something you don't know. <laughs> and we can let that build up our ego and use it as a weapon or a divisive action with people around us. It pumps us up. What we think about our expertise, our research, can damage our relationships if it's not used correctly. And God recognizes people who love, not just people who have knowledge. So people that have knowledge may know more than other people, but that doesn't count in heaven's look at you. Just because you know more than somebody doesn't mean anything. What Jesus is looking for is do you love people? Now, knowledge is important. It's not like throw the brains out. It is important. It helps us inform our decisions. But knowledge does not equal wisdom. Think about this. We're in the Google age. The generation that's being raised now, they don't even have to spell. Somebody else spell checks for them on their, even on their phones. They don't have to wonder how to do something, cook a meal or make a, an arrangement. They just Google it and they find it somewhere out on the internet. Information is everywhere, but that doesn't mean that this generation is wise. We've got tons of information, but it isn't necessarily transforming us. And on top of that, we're missing some things. There's not just misinformation out there. There's missing information. And in the context of the church, 
When you come and you might know what you know, but you have not gone through experience yet, you might be missing the experience of another person that's older than you. So you're parenting and you've read every blog, you know all the research, you know the best way to raise a kid. And you think you know better than all the other parents who have already done it. So you're more likely to go to Google than you are to those parents and you're missing something. Come on, somebody. You're missing out on that hardcore experience. Listen, wisdom is weathered knowledge. Weathered knowledge. Yeah, I knew I thought this. I remember when Jody and I did not have children. It was a really long time ago. But I remember going through Target or a grocery store or something and watching and observing a kid act up in the grocery cart next to us. And the thought in my head was, I'm never going to let my kids do that. How I many know it changed once I had kids? <laughs> Weathered knowledge. So if you're going to have wisdom, we need to draw from others. And sometimes our own pride prevents us from gaining that wisdom. We aren't asking people questions. Maybe you didn't like how the previous generation did things. So you throw everything out. And when you throw it all out, you're missing something. The battles, the mistakes, the real life. Transformation happens through the trials. So knowledge that is tested can become wisdom. Now, here's our goal. Paul is saying our goal is not to decide who is right and who is wrong or to take sides on confusing topics. The goal is to learn to walk in wisdom. How many want to walk in wisdom with your life? To choose love over the need to have the answers to be right. So Paul is speaking, and they're gaining knowledge. They know the scriptures. I love this old phrase, but the word of God without the spirit of God, and you dry up. The spirit of God without the word of God, and you blow up. The word of God plus the spirit of God, and you grow up. We need it together. Can I get an amen to that? So today, I want to give you three things on how to grow up without blowing up. How to grow up without blowing up. Number one. Consider the vulnerable. Look at what Paul says, starting with verse 9 now of chapter 8. But you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. For if others see you with your superior knowledge eating in the temple of an idol, won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that has been offered up to an idol? So because of your superior knowledge... A weak believer for whom Christ died will be destroyed. And when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong, you are sinning against Christ. So if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live. For I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. This is a really powerful teaching from Paul, encouragement to Corinth and to us about what we do with our freedom and our knowledge of freedom. Because we are not isolated, we are in community. 
And we need to learn to practice emotional intelligence. The awareness of what other people are thinking, how they're interpreting what's going on, what their battles are, not just going out there and pointing the finger at everybody else. I've said it before, when you point the finger, you got three pointing back at you. See, the reality is Paul is saying, I want you to learn to understand your actions influence other people. How do they perceive their world? How do they understand their subjects? And by the way, what are they battling? What are they fighting against? Where are their weaknesses in? And with knowledge, you should have other people in mind. He says, but you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. Don't use unnecessary or unfruitful button pushing. How many know a button pusher in your life? How many of you are the button pusher? Listen, you can win a fight with a skunk, but you are the one that comes out stinking. And that's why there's a lot of stinking Christians today. They're trying to prove that they're right. And they just come out smelly. Listen, we got to learn to give up our right to be right. That's why last week I even talked about rationale for how I make decisions about what I do with my body. I choose not to, to drink alcohol. And it's not because I think that anybody that ever has drank alcohol is like going to hell or something. That's not, it's not a, you see alcohol in different spots. Uh, not to get drunk, the scripture says. You're not supposed to drink to get drunk. That's pretty clear. So if you're drinking to get drunk, you're violating scripture. Plain, simple facts, okay? But for me, the reason I don't drink is because in our church, we have hundreds of people that are overcoming drug addiction and alcoholism. They're coming out of that world. And as a shepherd, I don't want their stuff going through my veins while I'm trying to see them set free. That's what Paul is saying here. Be aware of what they're going through, their vulnerabilities, the vulnerable. Don't do things that are going to cause them to stumble, even though you might be able to get away with it. It's always good to be around people that are not like you. I like to say it's always good to be around the poor, around people that have different values than you and maybe different resources. Listen, go on a kingdom builder trip and serve people that have less than you have. Experience that. And when you experience serving or you go to feed my starving children or you volunteer in a ministry at Emmanuel and you're on team Emmanuel and you're serving others, serving will kill pride. It'll kill the pride. I realize that growing up today is a little different than when I was a kid, so I've invited our Spring Lake Park youth pastor, Pastor Allie Smith, to share the second way to grow without blowing up. Give it up for Pastor Allie. Thank you. Well, good morning, church. Um, I have the honor and privilege to teach from God's Word this morning as we're unpacking how to grow up without blowing up. Um, and our second point that we're going to be talking through this morning is this, handle your temptation. How to grow up without blowing up, you need to learn how to handle your temptation. And for that, we are going to turn to 1 Corinthians, if you have your Bibles, to chapter 10, as we continue what Paul is saying in verse 12. He says this, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. 
and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. You see, what I love about this text is Paul is showing us everybody struggles with temptation. I struggle with temptation. Pastor Nate struggles with temptation. Everyone in this room has struggled with temptation. And since the Garden of Eden, humanity has wrestled with temptation. And Paul tells us, he goes, the thing you're walking through, the temptation you're feeling, it's not new. It's not rare. You're not the only one that's experienced it. Everyone is, that has walked through life has experienced similar temptations. You're not alone. And I love what Jesus says when he talks about temptation and humanity. In Matthew 26, verse 41, Jesus says this, Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And it was this very verse that changed my whole perspective on temptation. Because what Jesus is saying, he's saying, hey, humanity, you, me, we are weak. We can't do it on our own. The first step to overcoming temptation is to realize that you can't. To realize that with, apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. To realize that we need Jesus and his power and his strength to help us handle our temptations because us as humanity, we are so weak. But my favorite part of that passage is that it says Jesus is willing. Like he wants to help you. He's willing to help you in your temptations. You just have to pray. You just have to ask him. See, this is where we find the church of Corinth. They were believing a lie that they could handle their temptation on their own strength that their effort was enough. If I just try hard enough, I can overcome this temptation. That's where the church of Corinth is at. And that's why Paul tells them, if you think you're standing strong, if you think you can avoid, ignore, or outrun your temptations, be careful not to fall. They were in a dangerous spot. In other words, he's saying, hey, you're on a very slippery slope right now. I would be careful. And maybe you're in a similar spot trying to handle temptations on your own and you found yourself saying things like, that will never be me. Like, I'd never actually do it. Oh, it was just, it was just one time. It's actually not that bad. This is the last time. It's never gonna happen ever again. I'm good. I got this. So my question for you this morning is this. What's your temptation? Like, what's your trap? Like, what's the thing that, that trips you up? For some of us, our temptations, we find them in our, in our words, whether that be gossip, lying, hostility, quarreling, outbursts of anger. For some of us, our temptations are with our body, whether that be adultery or um, immorality or impurity, lustful pleasures or drunkenness. And for some of us, our temptation actually lives in our thoughts, jealousy, pride, complacency with God, idolatry. But we all have temptations. And as I was reading that list, I'm guessing there was one that popped up. You're like, oh, yep, that's, that's mine. Yep, I've had that one before. <laughs> right? Because the funny thing about temptation is that we all know what our temptations are. Because it's usually the root of most of the shame and guilt that we felt in this life. It's the thing that we're actually most embarrassed by. It's the thing that no one knows about, the thing that we keep so hidden. It's our temptation, and we, we know it so well. But here's why this is such a big deal. Why handling your temptation is such a big deal, because unhandled desires lead to spiritual death. Unhandled desires lead to spiritual death. Look what it says in James chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. 
Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. What James is saying, he's saying, if you do not handle your temptations now, you will let them grow and they will turn into sin and then it will turn into death. Because temptation is not a sin, but temptation will lead you into sin. And if you let that sit, it's going to grow into death. That's what James is warning us about. Be careful. We have to handle temptation because there's too much at stake. There's too much at stake to annoy, to avoid, to run from our temptations and not handle them. But there is so much good news. I don't remember if you remember what Paul said, the hope he brought. But he said this, God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so you can endure. You see, God is faithful. That means that you can trust him. It says he always provides a way out. Not sometimes, always. And I love other translations. They say he provides a, a way of escape. And he does it because he is so deeply in love with you. And he doesn't want to see sin lead you down a path he doesn't want you to go on. And so he always gives you a way out because he's just that faithful. But his way out, it's, it's not an eject button. It's not the easy button. Erase it immediately. Suddenly in a moment, all your temptations disappear and you're good. But what he says is, I'll give you a way out that's going to help you endure. And endure, what that word means is to remain firm in suffering. To remain firm in your temptation. God's trying to teach you how to endure when he provides you a way out. See, I like to think about it this way. I was recently on a plane, and I think it's so interesting that without fail, every plane you get on, they always come to the, the middle section, and they do the whole safety protocols. If the plane crashes, these are your exit doors. This is where your life jacket is. And they give you all the instructions that you need to know. And I'm sitting there, and I'm listening, like trying to find the life jacket under the sea. Like, is it really there? And all of a sudden, I look around, and there's people, and they got their headphones in listening to music. And they got their iPads out watching movies. I know none of you ignore the people when they give the safety uh, protocols on the planes. But the, I'm sitting there like, guys, if, if we crash, I'm not coming to you for help. Like if we crash, you're going to have no idea where your life jacket is. You're going to have no idea how to blow it up if the little pulley thing doesn't work. You have no idea what exit slide's going to, like exit door has a slide on it. Like you're going to have no idea because you never listened. And it's funny because we never listen because we think there's the slim odds that the plane's actually going to crash. Like, what are the odds this actually happens? It so kind of feels like a waste of time. I'd rather just put my headphones in and listen to something else. But something I love is that either way, whether they listen or not, whether people have their headphones in or not, these flight attendants, without fail, will give the instructions on what to do if something bad happens and how to escape. And this is the, the picture God gave me when it comes to humanity and temptation is that God, he always gives the instructions. He will always be up there showing you your way out of escape because he is so faithful he can't do anything else. He will always show up and show what you need to do to, in order to escape. And so the problem isn't with us. The problem is not with God. The problem really is with us. We're the ones not listening. We're the ones not being faithful. We have our headphones in, pretending that we're thinking that the plane's never going to crash. We have our headphones in, thinking, I'm never going to fall into that temptation. 
I'm not going to fall into it again. And we're not listening to God. See, if we're going to handle our temptations, you have to start listening to God. And sometimes that requires us to take our headphones out and stop listening to something else that maybe we even enjoy. That's not inherently bad, but it's actually feeding our temptations. For me, I get the honor and privilege of hanging out with our middle school students here at Emmanuel. And um, something that a lot of them wrestle with is jealousy in comparison. And I know that's just a middle school problem. I know none of us in this room struggle with jealousy in comparison. But these students, I'll sit with them and I'll be like, okay, so tell me when you're jealous, like when it gets worse. And they'll look at me, Pastor Ali, you know, it's when I'm scrolling on social media, when I'm on Instagram, TikTok, I feel like that's really when it gets worse. And I say, oh, okay. I said, well, why don't you just delete it then? And they look at me and, you know, they give me 101 reasons why they're never going to ever delete their social media. And I'm like, so let me, let me ask you this. So you're purposely making life harder on yourself by keeping it. Or maybe for you, it's uh, you struggle with sexual impurity lustful pleasures, whatever it might be, but you still find yourself watching movies and TV shows that have sexual content in them. And you're like, oh, it's not really affecting me. Like, it's all just close my eyes, we'll be okay, you know? Even PG-13 nowadays, you just can't trust it. You just never know. And it's, but we can't can't believe this lie that it's actually not affecting our temptations, because it is. Because it's feeding it, and we're willingly making life harder on ourselves. Or maybe for you, your temptation's gossip. And that's the thing that trips you up. But you're still listening to and surrounding yourself with the same friends that gossip all the time. And you're wondering why your temptation's so easy to fall into. You're wondering why it feels so hard. Because temptation is already difficult. And we so often make life so much harder on ourselves because we are unwilling to give something up that we enjoy. You see, not only do we have to remove things in our life that are feeding our temptations, but we have to start listening to God by reading his word. That's the practical side of temptation, but this is the spiritual side. We have to know his truth if we're gonna overcome temptations in our life. I love what Psalms 119 says. It says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If you wanna handle your temptations, you have to hide his word in your heart. You have to know the truth. So I'm going to invite Pastor Nate back up to the platform as he brings home our message. Point number three, give it up for Pastor Nate. Woo! Now I wanted, I wanted Pastor Ellie to share because we have so many amazing things going on in our youth ministry in all of our locations. And if you're a teenager, get to youth group Wednesday nights. There's something powerful happening. If you're a parent or a grandparent or a friend or an aunt and uncle, Get those kids to church. Some of them, all they need is a ride. How many of you can give rides? Let me see your hands. You can do this. Come on. Oh, it's like giving an offering, taking an offering up. Everybody's ready to do it. Let's make a difference in the next generation. Give it up for Pastor Allie. She did a great job with that, didn't she? How to grow up without blowing out. Consider the vulnerable. Secondly, was handle your temptation. And third, Maintain the main thing. Everybody say that with me. Maintain the main thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, Paul is continuing. He says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. 
All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Paul is not telling everyone to become an athlete. He's using the discipline of an athlete as a parallel to our own life, our patterns, our disciplines. And one of the things that he says is, listen, I keep the prize ahead of me, the main thing. Now, when Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing? It really came out as love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. The main thing is loving God and loving people. Anything that diverts from that and you don't get the prize. And he's saying, hey, listen, keep it on what's important, what's eternal, what really matters. There's so many distractions available, so many temptations that are out there that could keep us from pursuing why we're on the planet. And it doesn't matter what age or stage you're in. I just want to say to you, listen, get back on focus. Even grief can take us away from our purpose. And I would just like this to say this. Those of you that are grieving, we want to come. We want to grieve with those who grieve. But we don't want you to stay in your grief. That you still have purpose in this life. You can become what God has designed you to become. Can I get an amen to that? Just a few years ago, Jody and I, uh, we participated in something called a life plan process. It was three days of question asking and charts on the wall of us asking questions about what are we going to live for over the next number of years of our life? Asking what were, what were we put on the planet for? What did God put us here for? And one of the exercises was called the Opus Gloria. And we we're asked the question, what I hope others say about me when I die? What do I hope others say about me when I die? And you know what that does when you answer these questions? It clarifies what's important, what we don't want to drift away from. So like for me, I'll share some of the ones that how I answered it. What do I hope God says about me when I die? I hope he trusts or I hope he says he trusted and obeyed me to the end. Isn't that well done, my good and faithful servant? What do I hope Jody, my wife, says about me? He loved me, believed in me. And he walked with me to the end, never gave up. What do I hope my boys, my sons say? Dad believed the best in me. He was my greatest cheerleader and friend. How about the, the team that I work with at the church or the coworkers that I have. He cared for me and my family and encouraged me to be my best. What about the ministry audience or the church and the people that God has called me to speak to? I, I hope you're able to say, Pastor cared for my soul and equipped me to live the Jesus life. That's what I want at the end. If I want these things at the end, that informs how I live today. What I do with my time, what I do with my money, what gets a yes, what doesn't get a yes. It focuses things for that prize at the end, 
In fact, my personal mission statement is this, to inspire and guide people to live out God's design. That's really what I'm about. Now, I don't know what the burdens of your heart are, the things that you live for, but let's make sure that if we're going to do what Jesus has called us to do and keep the main thing the main thing, it'll keep us from blowing up and instead we'll grow up and we'll grow the people around us up to finish. Other people are following you too. Paul said, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. In other words, I don't want to lose it at the end. I want to stay faithful all the way to the end. And he goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Don't give offense. Don't push buttons. Come on. To Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. Don't get caught up in all the controversies and knowledge. I too try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what is best for me. I do what is best for others so that many might be saved. And you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Did you know that we can follow Paul's example, but we want those people that look to us to follow us? Can your spouse imitate you and get the prize? Can your kids imitate you and get the prize? You can grow up without blowing up. And friends, that purpose, that prize that God put inside of you does not have an expiration date. Just because you got, the, you got married doesn't mean you've reached the prize. Now you need to maintain the main thing. Just because you got the dream and the business is built or you got the job or you purchased the car or the kids finally graduated. Just because you retired, just like Bruce Wachowski did this week, one of our elders. Congratulations, Bruce. Really proud of you. But Bruce, it's not over. Just your purpose is not your job. You serve the creator all the way to the end. And you keep looking to fulfill that design on your life. Can I get an amen to that? Would you stand with me in all of our locations as we conclude today? I genuinely believe that if we follow the word of God, and we take the knowledge of what we just learned and we let the spirit ignite it, we open our lives up, then we can grow up. We also grow up in context of a relationship. We need each other. The younger need the older. The experienced need to share their experience with those that have yet to learn. And those who have yet to learn, you need to not let pride get in the way of you asking advice from the older generation. We all need to grow together, and we need the Spirit of God to grow us up. Recently, Jody and I were out with a couple, and we were just talking and sharing different things about our marriage journeys. It's kind of a common thing we do. And they asked us, how, how did we do it? Did you ever hit hard times? Oh, yes. 
And we shared our own story. And it wasn't a perfect story. It was weathered wisdom. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And we need to learn to chase that. And not think that we've already got it all. Or, or we can find everything on Google. Come on. But the Holy Spirit will help us grow. Amen. We're going to sing here in a moment and let the Lord take that word and go and seep into our hearts. But just lift up your hands to heaven right now. Father, we come before you and we thank you that you are able to complete the work that you started. That you work with imperfect people, that you grow us. And we thank you, Lord, that you've enabled us to not just start strong and then blow up or burn out. But Lord, you've enabled us to finish the race all the way for the prize. On our journey, Lord, would you help us to become more aware of those around us, to be emotionally intelligent, to recognize when others are struggling, to not do things that would actually make it worse for them. Would you help us to handle our temptations? Not just ignore them, but get on top of it, to not let it produce bad things in us in the long run and to rely on you for help and then Lord help us to pursue and keep the main thing the main thing and pursue the prize that you got ahead of us we need your help we ask that you would help us even now in Jesus name amen thank you for joining us we pray that you are encouraged and blessed by today's message check out emmanuelcc.org for faith resources how to get plugged into community or to join us live on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. We are so excited to see what God is going to do. The best is yet to come.